0: To thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bacham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Isn't it interesting how some of those childhood moments that happen to you form you and shape you into who you are today and how you think about your living? And sometimes it's not just the event but how you come to understand that event. When I was in eighth grade, uh, I had just moved to town not long before, about a year before. And during that year, it was a kind of a tough year to to fit into a group of people who had been together for their entire lives. And so I made a few friends along the way, but one of those friends, and I'm not even gonna talk about what that was about uh, to remind anyone who might've known me back then, but one of those friends made up a huge lie about me. And one of those soul-crushing lies when you're that age where it's completely opposite of who you would be. And not only that, but he made up the lie and walked around telling people about it. He had a reference point to it, kind of a show and tell. And it was a complete fiction, the opposite of who I held myself to be. And it, it it just crushed my soul and i remember i was just distraught about this because here i was trying to make friends and now they had this belief about me that was absolutely not true and there was nothing i could do about it at least i felt like there was nothing i could do about it if i denied it you know they made up more about that and and the more i denied it the more this person said see there he goes he's protesting so much and if i said nothing it was like i was giving tacit truth to that and I didn't know what to do about it. And I remember I was sitting talking with my mother and thank goodness my mother had the insight to not just say, oh, don't worry about it. It will pass. That was part of her message, but it wasn't the most important part of her message. What my mom told me is, if that's not who you are, be who you are. Let that speak louder than the lie they're telling, and I remember thinking about that and, and what she was talking about was be true to my character. Now, she also told me not to worry too much because the drama du jour of eighth and ninth grade will come along and somebody else will be the target. Somebody else will be the one. And, and sure enough, that happened. It took a couple of weeks for it to pass. But I remember I was walking around constantly saying, that's not who I am. I've got to be who I am. That's the nature of character versus reputation. And one of the things I've noticed in our culture right now is that people have become fixated on protecting their reputation but don't seem to be worrying at all about their character, who they are in private. They want to cover up so that the public thinks something differently. And I always wonder, why can't we turn that around? What if we didn't worry so much about what the public thought what if we actually worked on our true self? Not, not just our shallow self, but our best self, our character. What if we were to focus so much energy on our character that at some point our reputation would either reflect it or not, and it wouldn't matter? Because I do believe that character is finally what stands. That's what we're seeing in today's world, that eventually character shows, reputations fall. And true character shows. And, and reputations fall, sometimes the bad reputations fall and we some, see somebody that really was standing up for character, that has been assaulted and, and now rises to the occasion. My point is, character is within us. Reputation, we don't have any control over. That was my mother's point. You can't control what others say about you, but you can choose who you're going to be inside. That's, in some ways, something that is within our entire control. Not in some ways, and always we can choose our character. I was talking with someone about that the other day, and it, it struck up a conversation. The person said, so you're talking about being principled as a person? And I said, well, you know, kind of, because I like the idea of a principle. A principle is something you stand behind. The problem is, the principles have to serve your best interest if that's what it's going to be about. Because you might have a principle that you're going to take advantage of anyone and everyone to get ahead. I mean, that's a principle, right? I mean, a principle can be any rule that you follow. So you might have a principle that you're going to be as honest and trustworthy as you can be, but you can also have a principle that you're going to lie and cheat and steal to get ahead because that's what's coming to you. And so a principle is not just it. So yes, principles is what we're talking about but only when they are in the service of our truest, deepest character. And I, I believe that at our base, humans have a struggle where our ego wants what our ego wants, but there's a, a deeper self. And that self knows something's bigger, something's more important. That that This area I've been talking about, about meaning and purpose and, and having a positive impact in the world is a much more core piece for most of us. There are maybe some that... Have become so detached from that they can't find it. But I believe that we all have this place that we can choose our character that has to be seen as the struggle of daily life. Now, what that means for us on a practical level, and that's what we really want to focus on for the next few weeks on a practical level, we have to be working to build our character. I don't believe that character just happens. I believe that character is built day by day, making daily choices to move us to better places. The reason I believe that is because I've seen people who have come from places where they weren't living their best self, where they were living from a far worse self, who slowly built it back up and decided who they wanted to be and built that into their lives because they chose to follow a different path. I would say they choose... A roadmap, a different way of doing this, they chose principles. They had some principles in their lives that helped them to make choices along the way. Whenever they were caught at some point, if they had a roadmap, they chose their higher path. Sometimes in the midst of daily life, in the moment that's tough, it's easy to slip and to choose something that doesn't serve you, doesn't serve humanity. It feels good just for that moment. That's that ego pull, that, that pull to, the, to self-service that generally doesn't get us where we want to be. But if we've got a roadmap, some, some ways of understanding, it, just some principles of how we're going to move forward, then that's a different thing. That's our focus for the next few weeks, talking about some principles. And I'll tell you, these are the principles that I have worked on in my own life with some imperfections along the way to get there. And, and so my belief is that principles are what stand above everything else. It doesn't mean we're going to get 100%. It means that we're going to regroup when we don't get 100% and move back towards that principle. To me, it's it's kind of like in school. You know, you can keep striving and striving to do well on a test. And if you don't hit 100%, that doesn't mean you failed. It just means you have room for growth. You have a different place to go. When I was teaching scuba diving, one of our principles was that we taught to success. We always taught to success. It wasn't enough to give a test and for somebody to miss the answer and for us to accept that they had missed the answer. The reason because it was because those questions were based in Survival of how you're going to live and keep yourself alive in risky situations. And so we didn't give a test, and if they missed five, say, well, you, know, you know, missed five. Well, let's move on. We would say, you missed five. Let's talk about why you missed them. Let's learn from that. And so what these success principles are about is, is looking for the success. When you have failures, it's teaching yourself for success, So these principles, and I've got 10 principles I want to talk about, these 10 principles are ones that we might choose to follow, and they guide us. They call us to something else. When you're stuck, they're always a great place for a starting point. When you find yourself stalled out, they're a great place to begin again. When you find yourself falling short, To be able to measure by that and say, now how do I go a little bit higher? And now how do I take that a little more seriously? So let's talk about the first of these principles this week. The first principle is let fear point, not direct. Let fear point, not direct. Fear is just a part of us. And so I want you to notice that what I'm not saying is be fearless, That would be a great thing if it was possible. But being fearless is not in our makeup. We are built to respond to fear. So I'm not here to make you fearless. I'm here for you to decide how to let fear fit into your life. Fear is built into our operating system at the deepest level, so there's no way we can actually make it to fearlessness. Let's talk for a minute about fear and your brain, because it's built into the operating system of your brain. We don't like to feel fear, which is why we sometimes avoid it. But let's just talk about this operating system of our brain. Scientists believe that our brain is basically built on three different layers. Our deepest layer, the most primitive part of our brain, is all about survival, That's why your DNA, DNA, my DNA, why all of the people whose living DNA is around, because their ancestors survived. Our ancestors survived. And part of surviving was avoiding the dangers. And part of the way they avoided dangers was to have a sense of fear. If you don't have a sense of fear, it doesn't get you to react when there's a danger at hand. So that primitive part of the brain that operates at the very base of your brain is looking for all the risks. In fact, it's basically lined up for your hearing and your sight, because that's primarily how we take in the immediate threats. It's also very near your olfactory gland, so it's also smelling and and is able to go on, on a reaction from the smells, the sights, the hearing. The skin's less important. Feeling something's far less important because by that time, it's an immediate threat. And so it's much better for us to be able to scan the horizon for those threats. And so that primitive part of the brain is constantly looking for threats, which served us very well when we lived in a constantly risky environment, when we were on the savannas or the prairies or the shores or the, the watering holes or wherever we were, our ancestors were with something dangerous at every turn, something that needed to be, somebody might need to be protected from. And so the brain was set up to register immediately that there was a threat, and when there was a threat to go into an immediate response to either fight or flee, fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, The other strategy was to stand still and hide somewhere, but the other two were to either get ready for battle or get out of the way. And part of what happened is that that brain system began to be wired into the other pieces too. So the basic layer was to have a fight-flight response, a fear response when there was a perceived threat. The emotions that are put on that happen immediately after that. If you notice, let's say you're driving down the road, and suddenly as you round a bin, you see that traffic has come to a full stop And so you slam on your brake and you steer carefully and your heart races and your your pupils dilate and you might break out into a sweat and you have all of this sudden rush of fear. After you come to a stop, you might have an emotional response because that's the next part of the brain up, the mammalian brain, the limbic system that's part of that. And, And those emotions rush in. It might be relief. It might be anger. And those secondary emotions to the fear come after the fear. Your immediate one is to take yourself to a safe place. The secondary may be to have an emotional response to it. And it can happen very fast. But the first one is that survival mechanism. Second is the emotional mechanism. And the third is when our thoughts kick in. After we're sitting there a little bit, maybe we're angry about the person up there who caused the backup, or maybe we're relieved of the fact that the people behind us also slowed down and everybody came to a safe stop, then we might have a little cognitive thought about why were we going so fast and not quite paying so much attention as we were rounding that bin. Our top part of our brain, our neocortex, begins to think, and that's the stack of our brain base of it, remember, is the fear response. Because fear is designed to do one thing, indicate importance. Not to make you flee the scene, but to indicate that something is important. The problem is we humans don't like the feeling of fear. We have come to associate that with weakness and that there's something wrong with us. And so we often, when we feel the fear, discount it and push it away and try to avoid whatever it was that provoked our fear. And in that sense, instead of allowing it to indicate importance, we let it indicate avoidance. So when fear indicates importance, it may be indicating that there is real danger you might be really physically at risk. If you're walking down a dark street by some dark alleys, you might truly be at risk. You may not, but you might be truly at risk. And so your fear mechanism is warning you that you need to pay attention. You might need to get out of there, but you certainly need to pay attention. If I'm running down the trail and I see something kind of wavy, curly on the, the trail, my brain needs to register that there might be a danger there. It might just be a stick, but it could be a snake. It's important for me to pay attention to that in order to say stay safe. And so there are physical dangers around us. There are unsafe people around us that our brain is watching for. Those are important parts of our fear response. But often, there's really no danger. It's really that it's about something important, opportunities, new directions, new things in life that might scare us, important things that are out in our lives that we don't need to avoid, that we need to pay attention to. For example, let's say that you have gone to a party and you're standing there and you look across the room and you suddenly see someone and that someone could be the one and your heart starts racing and you're, you feel your stomach pulsating. You might go, ooh, that fear, I don't want to feel that. And so you may avoid going over and talking to someone because you're afraid you might stammer and you're afraid you might not know what to say. You look across the other way and you see somebody, you know, somebody that would be a comfortable chat. And you think, oh, I can talk to that person. I'll just go have a friendly chat. Now, I would just ask on the surface, which one would be easier to do? clearly the one to be easier to do would be go to your friend and have a friendly chat but the important one may be to follow up with that person who might be the one the fear is indicating that that's an important connection not not a safe connection but an important connection doesn't mean it's unsafe it just means that it's important that your brain is saying that's important or let's make another possibility let's say you have two job possibilities. You go to one interview and you realize that this is the job you have always dreamed of. It's the one you want to do, the one you can spend the rest of your life working on, but you're going to have to stretch to do it. It's a little above where you've been, a little above what you expect of yourself, a little above your skill level. You have to reach for this, stretch for this, work for this. While you're in that interview, you find yourself stammering a bit, a little bit anxious, sweating a bit, maybe not saying things the way you want to. And you walk away going, wow, that didn't work out well. So you go to the next interview. At the next interview, you realize that you could nail this job. No problems mastering this job. You've been doing this. There would be no problem. You have a great rapport with the people in there. You nail every one of their questions. You could do this job blindfolded, hands tied behind your back, no problem. And so you are cool. You are clear. You don't stammer. You don't sweat. You put your best self forward. You could walk away. And if you're looking at those two jobs, you could say, I probably don't need to go to that first place because I blew that interview. If I can't even do a great interview, how could I possibly do the job? And say, you know, that second job, piece of cake, I think I'll take that job because that would be easy street for me. I'd get a paycheck and nothing. But I would caution us to step back and ask, which one is more important? Is it more important to do the easy or more important to do the dream job? And I would vote that the fear is actually pointing out exactly where we need to go. Here's the problem, though. All of our lives, fear has been pretending to be a friend, saddling up beside you, warning you of something that may or may not be dangerous, but makes you think it is. So your friend, your friend fear points and says, oh, you see that? You you probably need to stay away from that. You don't want to feel this. Let's move away from that. And as fear is fed by us walking away from the important things, fear gets more bold. Fear decides that fear can control more and more parts of our lives until fear is choosing everything for us to avoid and providing nothing for us to walk towards. Fear is not a friend. Fear can be an advisor, but we need to understand that fear is advising us of what's important, not what's dangerous, not what's to avoid, just what's important. So the shift is to see fear as an importance indicator, not an avoidance indicator. See fear as what we need to pay attention to, not what we need to stay away from. We might need to let that tell us to avoid a situation, to avoid some risk. But we might also need fear just to say, this is important. Use all your senses. Pay attention. This might be critical. So the question is how we do that, how we follow this principle. Well, I would suggest that one of the big ways is to get used to feeling the fear to feel the fear, not try to avoid feeling the fear, but to feel the fear and assess it. A, is it a real danger? Are you at risk? Because there are some times that we actually set fear aside when we should be paying attention to it because something really is important. Something really is at danger. Maybe your spotty senses are telling you that that person that makes you feel uncomfortable is dangerous. Maybe you need to be paying attention to that instead of telling yourself to disregard that. Maybe you need to be sure that you're paying attention to the possibility of danger. But if you can truly say, I'm feeling the fear and I realize there is no danger, then the secondary question is to ask, what's important about this? What is the piece of this that I need to move towards? If it's a real danger, we always course correct to safety. No need to put ourselves at risk. No need to push that boundary. But if we assess that it's important, then we need to course correct to the source. Instead of course correcting to safety, we course correct to source. If it's real danger, step away. But if it's important, step towards. Remember that always falling to safe, every time we feel fear, if we always move to the safe point, then we begin to be more and more constricted. If we stand in the middle and ask what's important about this and if it's a true risk that we step away, but if it's an important piece that we step toward, then we change our relationship to fear. We allow fear to be the importance indicator that it needs to be, not the avoidance indicator that we allow it to be. So remember, the principle number one is that when you're dealing with fear, you let the fear point, not direct you. We'll be talking about more principles in the coming weeks as we go through these different principles. Remember that each one is built to help us figure out kind of the strategies for living, the ways we point towards our lives, the principles we can follow one by one in order to step more and more towards the character we want to be in life. Remember, this is reflecting part of the work that I've put together in a couple of books. One is my Thrive Principles. Those are 15 strategies for how you can build a thriving life. And my new book is The Immutable Laws of Living, about how we trip ourselves up on some fairly invisible laws by not realizing how they fit into our lives. So this is a piece of the overall structure of how we can understand our lives, build it, and follow our principles in order to live our best self, in order to make sure that we're looking for that meaning, that purpose, that importance, that impact we can have in our life. If you want more information about those books, you can find uh, the uh, book on Thrive Principles at thethriveprinciples.com, thethriveprinciples.com, and My Immutable Laws of Living, you can find at theimmutablelawsofliving.com. This is Lee Balkam wishing you the best for a thriving life. <music>